We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. And medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. To quote from Whitman, O me, O life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, what good amid these, O me, O life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. The powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? Happy heresies, and welcome to the desert of the real. Welcome to the machine, my son, and the means to escape it. Welcome with kindness and love to Aeon Bytenostic Radio. Welcome to that dream of you, that distant ship smoke on the horizon. We don't take prisoners, but liberate them. We are not the final authority on anything, but hope to be an endless possibility for everything. Including the everything and the awe that is you writing your own gospel and living your own myth. In the end, you are the final authority, have always been. Because all learning is remembering, as Plato said, and it's time you became the champion eternal you were meant to be instead of the hero of a thousand facials. Luminous being so, not this crude matter. You are breathtaking, and you can do so many wonders, I just know it. We're running with those searching for the truth and avoiding those who have found it. We're raging against heaven and storming the gates of hell for our misplaced childhoods and paradises lost. We're creating better than the creator gods and their butt slaves in the establishment. Dispatch a subspace message to Admiral Hanson. We have engaged the Borg. As Tobias Churton recently said on this podcast, Gnosticism is the religion of the artist because all creation is painful. And as Stefan Heller said, every serious artist is already half a Gnostic. And I say to you, we can handle pain because we've known so much pain as the outcasts and dreamers of a world gone mad. And no one can create like us when Sophia is by our side. Well, it'll evolve, what into? Into something that transcends matter, into a species of pure thought. Are you with me? Yeah, like a ghost. Oh, not like a fucking ghost your big girl's blouse into something that's like well beyond our comprehension into a universal consciousness into God who is by the same principle that time is 
as an example of our potential, as well as capturing the ethos of the show, let me recite this poem by Michael Alstad, a listener and pain-ridden Gnostic creator of wonder. It goes, What a puzzle, this thing called God, invisible, infinite, ancient, and odd. Relax, recall, make an effort to feel. Look inside, you will find the answers revealed. There is nothing so strong, so pure, and so safe as the knowing of truth when one finally wakes. There is no structure standing today containing the knowledge to show you the way. No book on this globe will explain the truth better than the mind's many pages read letter by letter. The past has seen men with unbounded knowing directing our world from the wrong way it's going. Not many have listened, far less understood, that all they were saying was simply be good. Try and you'll find it was well worth the trip. Look for yourself, be brave, take a sip. Try and give up, you still change where you're going. Follow through, just for you, there's an ocean of knowing. There is something called God, I tell you it's true. The puzzle's completion resides inside you. It's been a brilliant journey of self-awakening. Now you've simply got to ask yourself this. What is happiness to you? That's some volume 11 gnosis right there. Flies in the Vaseline we are, sometimes it blows my mind. All this creation, all this pain, all this wonder if we just wake the fuck up and love so hard we no longer feel that crown of thorns the archons placed on our head the moment we were born. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. Love so hard, yes, and in this eternal now, we'll continue with the topic of addiction and recovery, keeping the vibe from our last show with Duke Talbot. Important topic, because we can help that which we're dependent on which is the whole universe. And again, addiction and recovery have been part of my life, as well as acute manic depression. By all accounts, I shouldn't be functioning, but here I am, Miguel Connor, honored to serve you every bloody week. How do I do it? How did I do it? I learned to wake up and love so hard and embrace the chaos. And so did our astral guest, as you will see. I imagine you've seen things most men wouldn't believe. To go through all of that and make your way home again only to find such chaos in the world. I can only imagine chaos is a ladder. As with our last show, we'll take an esoteric and alternative view of addiction and recovery. Our asshole guest, Derek Hunter, 
like yours truly, genuinely understands myth, magic, and meaning, and wrote his own gospel and lived his own myth in the form of an amazing psycho-spiritual system called Love Chaos. Derek himself explains in his website the essence of Love Chaos. A change in consciousness, in the way of seeing the world, in seeing yourself, in changing who you are, and by doing thus, changing the world. The process of change is unconventional, but not without respect to the past, and also open to everyone. Incorporating storytelling, music, art, philosophy, psychology, occult practices such as tarot, magic, mysticism... Love Chaos takes a holistic approach to transformation. And now go and make interesting mistakes, make amazing mistakes, make glorious and fantastic mistakes, break rules, leave the world more interesting for your being here. Make good art. I hope Derek and I can provide, if you so need, the spark to get help if you're ready to wake up and love so hard. Embrace the chaos as any serious artist must. As mentioned too in our last interview, I have a dream of starting Finding Hermes, a podcast that deals with addiction and recovery from an esoteric point of view. Putting it out in the chaos to see what comes back, my beloved true seekers. Putting it out and maybe someone will support because I taught him the theory of flight. Theory of flight? I'll teach you the theory of fist! Since you'll obviously be hearing a lot about chaos in our interview with Derek Hunter, let us end with a quote by Philip K. Dick on the power of chaos, of anarchism, which comes from the Greek for without archons. Here it is, and man, it's so aeombite. It is my job to create universes as the basis of one novel after another. And I have to build them in such a way that they do not fall apart two days later. Or at least that is what my editors hope. However, I will reveal a secret to you. I like to build universes which do fall apart. Disorder. Chaos. Anarchy. I like to see them come unclued, and I like to see how the characters in the novels cope with this problem. I have a secret love of chaos. There should be more of it. Do not believe, and I am dead serious when I say this, do not assume that order and stability are always good in a society or in a universe. The old, the ossified, must always give way to new life and the birth of new things. Before the new things can be born, the old must perish. This is a dangerous realization because it tells us that we must eventually part with much of what is familiar to us. And that hurts. But that is part of the script of life. Unless we can psychologically accommodate change, we ourselves begin to die, inwardly. 
What I am saying is that objects, customs, habits, and ways of life must perish so that the authentic human being can live. And it is the authentic human being who matters most. The viable, elastic organism which can bounce back, absorb, and deal with the new. All that is visible must grow beyond itself and extend into the realm of the invisible. Led us to the interview with Derek Hunter on Love Chaos. Swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. Many who try to climb it fail and never get to try again. The fall breaks them. And some are given a chance to climb. They refuse. They cling to the realm. Or the gods. Or love. Illusions. Only the ladder is real. The climb is all there is. This is the AM Byte interview, and with us, we definitely have the pleasure of being joined by Derek Hunter to discuss his book. Love Chaos, A New Religion, A New Philosophy, A New Way of Life, as well as his companion book, Love Chaos in Theory and Practice. How are you doing, Derek? And thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, hey, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on the show very much. Uh, thank you both for having me on here. It's, uh, um, I consider it a, an honor and a privilege to be here with talking to you guys. Pleasure is all ours, especially it's a topic, well, a lot of what you talk about definitely strikes to my heart and we and my life for sure, But and we hope to reach as many people who want to listen to your message, as well as a, a great book about really a, a esoteric, unorthodox life of choosing a life of recovery and individuality, and as I say, writing your own gospel and living your own myth, and Derek mentioned both, so we therefore have to say and will say hi to the moon dog. How are you doing, Vance? I'm okay. Things are in order now, but I'm looking forward to hearing about Love Chaos because it reminds me of my old life as a single guy many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes, most men, it, it is chaos. I mean, I know, I don't know the hot topic that about Jordan Peterson talking about how women are chaos and men on order. And, yeah. and you think about it, I don't know if that's true. In fact, in a mythological <laughs> level, this is a Gordon White has brought this up 
most of the moon deities, you know, the ephemeral protean moon deities across the world are male. So I don't think we men are, well, I think three of us are living examples. We are not order. We are chaos. <laughs> part of our lives. Yeah. True about me. Yeah, I mean, most certainly, uh, you know, Babylon, her consort was chaos. Who was her consort? Is that Marduk? No, uh, the, the, the goddess Babylon and in, in, in Thelemic oh, yes, philosophy. Yeah, in the Thelemic philosophy, you know, you have um, chaos is, is, is Babylon's consort, is basically the, her, her, her boyfriend, her husband, or whatnot, you know. Right, her, right. Her yeah, it, and so he's, he's the male, you know. Is he maybe what uh, old god is he associated with? I believe it might be Set, from what I've heard. Um, well, I'm not, no, because I think that the, the, in terms of how the, the Thelemites view that is that, um, I think it's more, um, it, it's less of a, uh, an Egyptian strand and more, um, further North, you know, um, if you find in, in either the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, uh, it, that's where they get their perspective on it, you know, and, uh. I think, you know, but just going back to talking about, you know, Jordan Peterson and, and just, you know, I think it, it's, it's interesting when we look at, you know, the male, the female, you know, the, the yin and the yang, you know, the, the, the female in that perspective is supposed to be, uh, is the opposite of order. The male is order and the female is disorder, is chaos. And um, I think that's sort of, it, it, there isn't like 100% agreement on, on the on the genders in terms of of the male representing order and the females representing disorder, but for the for the most part, you know, um, certainly the Greeks had Eris, you know, as uh, as uh, the goddess of um, of chaos, and um, so generally most cultures viewed chaos in, in the feminine, but it doesn't mean that all of them did for sure, um, and uh, I, I think that just that's more sort of the traditional view on and on on that um even though i think it's if you look at actual experience i think men are just as capable of being as chaotic as women are yeah i mean uh, talking about the egyptian pantheon i think you've got mat and hathor they are the deities of order so they're the ones who kind of keep things going so it depends i think at the at the end of the day it really is about balance as you write in your book your religion is your mythology. So you've got to figure out your symbols and all that, what works for you, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, I think research and study is extremely important. Um, I think that if you want to be uh, an authentic, authentic practitioner, um, then you, you, you should research and you, and you should look at what, are, what has come before. Um, and uh, certainly... Um, especially if you're going to take up a tradition and, and, and you want to practice it and, and sort of believe in it on its face value, it probably would be better to continue to investigate and look at other possibilities. You know, um, I think you, you look at the recent occult revival, you'll see a lot of work from a lot of different authors these days who are kind of looking at, you know, our past uh, perceptions on the grimoire tradition, for example, uh, like Jake Stratton Kent, and uh, sort of showing that there's a, there's further um, examples of other other practices that even predates what we kind of considered, you know, the Solomonic uh, uh, 
practice of, uh, of grimoire, the grimoire tradition. So I think it's certainly um, at, the, at the end of the day, each person has to find out what works for them. Um, but certainly I think research and studying what other people have written, what other people have practiced is, is very important too. Well said indeed. And what about you, Vance? I don't know if you have a take on Babylon. I know here in this show, we obviously talk about Sophia and she is both chaos and order. She starts out in order. She brings chaos to the aeons. She falls into the chaos and makes the chaos worse by bringing forth matter, bringing forth the demiurge. But then she sort of has the the redemption and becomes a force of order again. So she is, uh, again, multi, uh, multi-complex deity. But you also revere um, Alethea, truth. Uh, is she chaos or is she order, Vance? Now that well, you're married. I, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, sometimes, sometimes I worry, you know, being a married guy, you know, having a, a, um, a, um, a character such as Elethea um, hanging around with me. But uh, I don't think in either dimension, uh, she is love, actually. She, she is just plain love. And she's not really involved in the mechanics of things to either be predictable or non-predictable. So um, from that standpoint, I'm afraid I don't have much to say. But I think the, the whole issue is anybody who expects order will point the finger at the opposite sex. Like if you're a guy creating a religion, you say, oh, all these women are chaotic because they don't understand them. And if women don't understand what men do, they'll say, oh, they're chaotic because we don't understand it. I think it's a matter of perspective, you know. Mm, Depends on who creates Sure, sure. Well said. So uh, that's about all I can uh, conjure up. <laughs> no problem. Good deal. Good deal. Well, we want to get into love chaos itself, but of course we have to talk about you, Derek, and how you got there. And reading your two books, Love Chaos Theory and Practice and Love Chaos, I keep coming back. It's almost like I don't want to go to the beginning. I don't want to go to the end where you are now, but I keep going back to that year 2014 when Love Chaos was born, but that's also the year, as you write, uh, you hit rock bottom. And as they say in AA, how do you know when you've hit rock bottom? When you stop digging. And that seems to be the year where there was, uh, yeah, an, the old Derek died and the new one came about. So maybe tell the audience about that and then we can cover some more of your life. Sure, yeah. I think maybe for those who are unfamiliar with that notion of, uh, of hitting rock bottom, it is it is from the 12 steps, you know, the AA, NA. Uh, the 12 steppers basically, you know, uh, view that if you're an alcoholic, if you're addicted to alcohol or you're addicted to drugs, um, and you get to a certain point where you've had enough, uh, in whether that means that uh, you've gone to prison, or you've lost your job, or you've, or you've lost a relationship, or you're losing your mind. Whatever it is, for each person, their rock bottom is, is different. Um, although a lot of times there's a lot of similarities, too, from person to person. So um, for me, you know, I, I got to that point in 2014, and, it had, and I had already quit um, hard drugs. You know, um, I was addicted to hard drugs to amphetamines for a number of years. And, um, and, and I quit that. And I, and in my perspective on that was just a matter of quitting. So it, I didn't really view that I had to make any major personal transformations in my life. It just was a matter of just stop taking this thing. 
Um, so then I, you know, I was a heavy drinker before that uh, three and a half year run with uh, crystal methamphetamine. And um, so I thought, you know, I was considered myself as a functioning alcoholic. And uh, so I figured that I could go back to just drinking and just not do hard drugs. Um, but for that, basically a year after quitting the hard drugs made me realize like I had a, um, just a number of, of things happen in my life where um, I had lost control. Um, I, was, I was, you know, not, um, I wasn't functioning at all. Uh, I, I, I um, was a person that I didn't want to be. You know, and, and, and it was, I might've kept going perhaps, um, or gotten back into hard drugs if I didn't have my son in my life. Um, the fact that I had a little, little boy that I had to be responsible for, not just responsible for myself, but for him as well, uh, made me realize that I couldn't keep going on like this. And that by my mid thirties, you know, I thought I had, you know, uh, explored a lot of different things in life, philosophically, personally, and um, thought I had had the answers. And then I just had to be take an honest look at myself and and just see that I I didn't, um, I I couldn't get myself out of this rut on my own. Um, so I, I realized that I had to change my way of thinking, I had to change my way of of acting, and I had to take a look at myself and um, at all the issues that I had. And so um, I realized that there really had to be a, a deep personal transformation take place. Um, and it was something that, you know, substances were just sort of the, the surface level to what was going on. I was just using, whether it would be hard drugs or alcohol, I was just using that as a coping tool uh, to deal with my own personal demons, my own insecurities. And um, so I had to address those, those personal demons, those personal insecurities and come to terms with them and then, and then practice using alternative coping tools to deal with life stress in other ways. And, um, you know, for me, um, I knew I needed to do something drastic, but at the same time, I didn't want to be born again. You know, I, I had, I had been a, um, a Christian in my early twenties, 19, 20, 21. And I had had that experience and I threw myself completely into that. Um, so like the idea of being born again as a Christian just did not appeal to me. Um, the 12 steps, which there's a lot of really great things about it. Um, and I still, and I, I actually like it quite a bit. There are also things I don't like about it. And especially back then in 2014, um, and then I thought about other religions or, or just something to just kind of believe in, to attach myself to. And, um, there just wasn't anything that, I, that I could feel comfortable with. And, um, and so I, I, I just thought, well, you know, um, you know, I, I, I liked Austin Osmond Spare and, and William Blake, and they both, you know, had made the suggestion to create your own philosophy, your own mythology, basically, that you don't have to follow what someone else did. You can just create your own. Um, and so those two, those two core principles to love chaos, which is love and chaos, were things that were always um, a big part of my life, uh, even previously, you know, and um, so I felt like then, well, why not just create something that I can truly, fully be behind, that I can embrace my agnosticism, my doubts, 
um, that I could um, still fervently, passionately believe in love uh, for other people and for myself uh, within this crazy world that we live in. And so then from that point is where uh, Love Chaos was born. Nice. And yes, I think you talk about William Blake and his famous quote, I must create my own system or be ruled by another man. So I love that quote too. It certainly drives me. And basically in your book, you write, you had become a nihilist and this was in 2014. What exactly did you mean by nihilist versus an agnostic? Just as we're talking about different terms throughout this show. Sure, sure. Well, I, I never actually like uh, you know proclaimed myself a nihilist or, or said I'm a nihilist. I, it was more I got to a nihilistic uh, point in my life of despair. Um, I was I was getting to the point of giving up basically. Um, that and, and this happens a lot to people, especially when you do amphetamines. Um, you get to suicidal states. Um, you get to the point where you don't want to live anymore and. Um, I was in what I was dealing with that, um, of that depression was alcohol and just wait. I used to wake up every morning and hit that crystal meth pipe. And once I stopped doing that, I replaced it with alcohol. And so I never like said, well, I'm a nihilist. I was more the nihilistic point of just not believing anything except for substances that make me feel good. And, um, and I, I really, I was starting to get to that point of just giving up on life. Um, and so that's when I realized like I needed to just believe in something and, um, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't attach myself to a previous belief system, even though there are valuable, a lot of valuable things from various different belief systems. I just couldn't find myself being behind it. And, um, so like that in the second book, the, the first line in the introduction is that it says that, uh, Love chaos is on the other side of nihilism. So what I I I, I meant by that is that um, on a personal level, it was uh, I I got to love chaos. I, I I created it out of that point of despair. Uh, on the on the other side of it, uh, on a, from my perspective anyway, and I'm sure people can will disagree with me. I feel that um, modern times, uh, early 21st century that we find ourselves in. Uh, that were culturally in a nihilistic point of view uh, experience of life, um, and uh, and so I felt like that you know I I am by all, by no means am I the most intelligent, the most knowledgeable, the most whatever person in the world. Uh, there's a, there's there's thousands and thousands, millions of other people far more intelligent and more interesting and profound than I am. But I just I was I was. I was even looking for something like love chaos. I was thinking, well, there, somebody must have done something like this. So look, and I, and I, not, not in the way that I was looking for not, not in terms of how it, it, it brought in occult practices with psychological self-help stuff with peer to peer stuff with other philosophical things. And so that's why I just felt like, well, this needs to be out there um, for myself and then for other people who might be interested Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, the next question is, I'm looking at things here. And of course, part of it, you had to go cold turkey. That was it. How that was, that's always one of the prerequisites. There's no uh, compromising this or did you sort of wean yourself off uh, alcohol? Well, so yeah, so that was actually one of the things um, I, uh, uh, um, 
going cold turkey is certainly is something that um, for some people that works like just you know completely quitting the substance in 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 and just go, getting through withdrawal, that's certainly something that works for some people. That wasn't, that, that wasn't something that works for me. Uh, like when I, when I quit crystal meth, I uh, went to my dealer and I got Adderall and I was taking Adderall for a couple of months. Um, but then of course I went from Adderall to alcohol, but in order for me to quit, uh, alcohol, even though I didn't go to 12 steps, I didn't go to, to rehab. Um, I did go see a therapist. And uh, the therapies, two ladies I went to for a year really helped me a lot. Um, and then I was taking for, what was it, a month? No, two, three months. Yeah, three months I was taking, um, oh shit, I forgot the name of it. Um, it's basically, it's a, 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 a um, it's not ants abuse. It's just something, there's another drug that you take that basically it, when I took it for those three months, it basically eliminated the physical craving for alcohol. Um, so in the meantime, while I was taking that, that drug, I was going to therapy every week. And, um, and I was also at that point going to school and I was taking classes about self-help and stuff like that. Um, so I was, I was taking care of the psychological stuff through the therapy and the self-work that I was doing while I had the physical, physical cravings uh, basically pretty much eliminated for those three months. So I got myself used to living a life without alcohol for those three months, which made it a lot easier to quit. And uh, I've recommended that to a lot of people who, who feel that they need to also quit alcohol. Um, it, uh, it definitely helps to have that. I just don't remember what it's called. It's not antabuse because antabuse is, the, is another drug that uh, actually makes you sick when you try to drink alcohol. So there's another one that they give to people, which uh, I can't remember. It was six hmm. years ago so yeah i don't know because when i did it i was it was cold turkey man it was oh like, yeah <laughs> like uh, your rock bottom i remember walking in the house after a binge my nose was bleeding i was thin and my my at the time my daughter was a year and a half old and she waking up it was dawn because i'd been out four days and she looked uh -huh. at me so happy and i remember being just flooded with love and I told my wife at the time, I said, no, this is it. And I went to bed and uh, woke up. The pillow was covered in blood. And uh, because of all the cocaine, I'd been snorting. And that was it. And then I called the council for the Houston Council for Alcohol. And I made an appointment. And before that, I was in rehab. And there started my journey. And uh, so, but we all have that story, that rock bottom. And of course, I've had some uh emotionally bad times since then some other rock bottoms being a dry drunk but that's uh again that's sure, part of sure. being alive you're never out of the woods there's no uh, road to damascus and the happy life and uh, what's interesting to ask you is um you say you uh backing up a little bit because this is something the audience would be interested in but you say you were a Gnostic Christian in your early 20s. So maybe share with the audience about that and how it went for you. Sure, sure. You know, I just want to just uh, uh, commend you in your battle with your own personal struggles because, you know, that is something I think for, for people who haven't had to go through what you went through and what I've gone through, um, it, people should understand that it's a, a, a great triumph when, when we're able to get 
over those experiences. And it's also important to know that it's, it is ongoing. It's certainly, as you probably know, it gets easier over time. Uh, but uh, it, it, a lot of the struggles that we go through um, will continue to pop up, even though we've stopped with the drugs or the alcohol, they'll still continue to be there um, because, you know, obviously life is still going and we still are who we are. But, um, but yeah, go, but, you know, uh, um, answering your question. So, yeah, I, um, so for during that time when I was 19, 20, 21, uh, I had basically uh, was in a similar kind of crisis experience well, it was different. Um, I, I had never been raised with a religion. I didn't grow up with one. Uh, my stepfather was uh, into astrology. That was about as close as I got to having a regular form of belief system. And he'd do my chart every month. Uh, but other than that, I, you know, my mom would go to church once in a while, but, uh, I never really, I didn't grow up with the religion. I, I studied religions and, and, and mythologies as a teen. But, uh, by the time I was 19 and my, my mother was getting divorced with my stepfather and I was in my first major relationship with my girlfriend at the time. And, uh, I, uh, was, you know, being a 19 year old and just insecure. And I, um, uh, had my own kind of like nervous breakdown back then. And, uh, I knew I had some friends, uh, who had met this homeless guy who was living in his van, uh, in Santa Monica, uh, up in the residential area of Santa Monica, close to downtown Santa Monica. And I worked at a movie theater in Santa Monica there. And, uh, he would come by the theater to, to talk to us about spirituality and, and so forth. And, uh, I kind of, you know, was, I was very skeptical and just thought he was full of shit. And he was, he was a nice guy. I, li I liked him. He was a little out there, but, you know. And um, it's just while I was in that kind of state of mind of just being really desperate, I had decided that, you know, at my friend's encouragement, a few friends of mine had basically gotten into this form of meditation and prayer and reading the Bible. Uh, and then they also introduced some Eastern uh, uh, techniques and, and philosophy as well. And uh, they would go to this church called Agape, which is still around here in L.A., and it's pretty, pretty large. And um, so they encouraged me to try out this meditation and this prayer that this guy, this homeless guy would do. And so I met with him, and, and I tried the meditation, the techniques that he showed me, and it was really powerful. And uh, it really convinced me. You know, it was like taking a drug, and just I got, I got high off of this meditation, and uh, I loved it. And I, it gave me... A sense of purpose it gave me a sense of direction so I jumped on board and uh, got into that and uh, I say Gnostic because of the fact that you know we were very much about the kingdom of God is within you and not outside of you and uh, in finding that that inner peace and that personal relationship to God um, and so that was what we focused on and as a group of friends and our tiny little quote-unquote cult that we had you know and our guru is this homeless guy and um, I was really, I was all gung-ho, you know, I was really into it. And, um, and I was riding that, that sort of spiritual, I guess you could say spiritual high for a couple of years. And then, it, and then as with any drug, it, you know, started to, I, I guess the tolerance level that I had was started to go up and uh, it wasn't really doing much for me anymore, you know. And uh, then I uh, fell in love and uh, with my son's mother, actually. Uh, this was years before my son was born. And um, in the process of falling in love with her, 
I uh, started to lose my faith and, uh, and then I, uh, stopped that practice and, uh, actually went the other direction and wanted to be Jim Morrison and was going to clubs and getting drunk and experimenting with drugs and, and trying to sleep with as many women as I could and, and so forth. But yeah, that was my, that was my experience for a couple of years with, uh, with that kind of Christianity. Well, I was a born again Christian for six months. So I understand the high, the <laughs> wonderful feeling, the community, everything's right. pretty, the simple life where you know how the entire universe is going to end and life is good. But, uh, right, right. I think it, it is like a drug. And I think, uh, maybe you hit on the head because I can fix my life no matter what religion I had to, as they say in the 12 steps, I had to find a clarity of mind. It's almost like I had to learn to think and think differently before I, decided to make any leaps of faith or mystic journeys is that the same with you um so you're you're talking about a leap of faith no i'm talking about the first thing is i had to have a clarity of mind uh, learn to think again to think straight to think logically to have uh yeah the most clear mind as possible Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, when Instead I mean, of the, the, the drug that you feel when you join a religion or something. Oh, I see. So I, I mean, right. I enjoy mystical experiences, but at the end of the day, there were nothing unless I had my inner house in order. Sure. Sure. I see what you're saying. Right. Right. Yeah. I know. It definitely, I think that, um, I think that sure. Like for me, it was just, uh, uh, I, you know, doubt had crept in. And so that my, I, my clarity of mind, uh, was basically seeing that there was a lot of, things in life that didn't sort of match up with, with the belief system that I had. And, um, and I just, and I kind of just lost, lost interest in it. And I just, I just, it wasn't really, um, doing much for me anymore. And I, my, instead I really wanted to go completely in the opposite direction, you know, um, and, uh, live a life of excess. So that was, that's where, so for me, it wasn't so much, I guess it wasn't, it wasn't exactly that clarity of mind. It was more just like wanting to have a different experience in life and just feeling like that I had spent my early twenties, um, you know, kind of being very, um, not monastic, but just uh, very highly spiritual to a point where I felt like I was den denying myself the pleasures of the flesh too much. So I felt like I, I needed to make up for that. <laughs> well you certainly did uh i know the drill and but interesting talking about gnostic christianity i think in one part of your book you do talk about the god chronazon and you do say he is like the demiurge and he sure. was your higher dimensional being that entered you in 1977 tell us about that derek yeah sure <laughs> and i love it <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, well, so, so I think, you know, so for me, you know, like with love chaos, um, I, I really feel strongly that, you know, each person should have their own mythology. And so with that mythology, you know, it could be anything, uh, even an atheist, you know, a person could be, a, a, a into, uh, love chaos and, 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 um, have certain practices, but, uh, not believe that there is any kind of, uh, existence beyond material this, this life of matter, um, or someone could be a Christian, you know, and it basically whatever it is that your vision of the universe is, you can make it work, uh, as long as you have certain principles that you follow. So for me, um, uh, even, even prior to, even prior to creating Love Chaos in 2014, um, this, the, the concept of, um, of, of Lucifer, 
uh, as being a, a liberating force, as being a, uh, an entity that was not meant to oppress or to cause harm to humanity, but was the opposite, a Promethean figure, right? Was something that really appealed to me. Um, and um, so for me, I, uh, I, I, I always, you know, maybe because from my experience as a, as a kid, uh, and I think a lot of other kids feel this way, and then growing up, a lot of times the, the story that we're told is not the truth. And I feel like that a lot of times, you know, whether it's our governments or big business or religions, a lot of authority figures tell us something that's they're, they're, they're trying to get from us. So I um, basically felt very comfortable with this notion of Lucifer being a, a liberating force and that the, um, um, and, 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 and I would say not just like the God of the Torah, the Bible, the Quran, but also of any kind of dogmatic point of view, which could be scientific or, or, or materialist, uh, that was just basically had no room for any other point of view but their own, was to me, was the, the, was the great dictator of the universe. Um, that entity, and, and, I, and I, you know, as I got interested in Crowley, uh, Charanzan became, a, a, you know, in, in, in Thelemic philosophy, uh, Charanzan is the sort of the, uh, the lord of the abyss, and uh, he is sort of the, the god of illusion. And so for me, I use that name, that, that name, that entity became then for me the, the demiurge, you know, and uh, because it, it certainly could be found in a lot of different belief systems. And I feel like the, 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 the path of liberation is a very tricky one. Uh, and it's a very, um, it's not, it's not, it's not, not an ex exactly, uh, is an easy pass from my point of view. And um, so I, I really felt strongly about that. Um, I have other entities that are kind of go within my, my quote unquote pantheon. Uh, Babylon being one, chaos being another, um, and then above that would be sort of, a, so in my point of view, in my mythology, uh, chaos is the father and, and Babylon is our mother, and above them is no thing, it's, uh, it, it, and um, something that is like the void beyond any kind of comprehension that we have. And then I have some other entities and so forth that I, I um, have a practice with, a relationship with, and I have been for years. Um, but there's, there's one in particular, um, entity, um, and that I have come to, to, uh, view is what I call as my higher dimensional being. And this is particular only to me. And this, uh, entity was something that entered my life when I was born. So that's why I, I, I talk about that in the book was that it, it, it basically entered this, this life, uh, through me. And as me, and is living this experience, um, and uh, my hope is that human beings will continue to live for far into the future. And if we continue to survive and we evolve um, far, far, far into the future, we will become these higher dimensional beings. Um, that these higher dimensional beings will be able to operate in, in, a, in a multifaceted way. And in order for to create that evolutionary process to go forth, uh, they go back and go from uh, one lifespan to the next, to the next in a, in a, in a, uh, in that sense. Um, and this, and they act as a, um, 
a mentor, a guide, and our personal dealings with life. And uh, that always just sort of, it's very similar to, as you know, the 12 steps, the higher power each person has. Right. And that always appealed to me because um, I, I feel that we all have one of these entities, these higher dimensional beings that are uh, above us and in us and working with us um, and that we can listen to and pay attention to. Um, that always just, set, you know, it, it always sat better with me than this notion of an abstract God that does the same thing for everybody. You know, I, I, I never really liked that notion of, you know, and maybe you've heard this in 12 step circles of like somebody running to go to their park, their car at a parking meter and, uh, and worrying that uh, they're going to get a ticket and then they show up they're like 15 minutes late and they should have gotten a ticket, but they didn't. And it's all thanks to God that they didn't get that parking ticket. And I always just thought that was kind of a ludicrous <laughs> yeah, idea. Yeah. You know, that ludicrous idea that like this omnipotent God that is not only uh, sort of operating and looking over each of our lives, but of the entire universe would take the time and interest to want to make sure you don't get a parking ticket. <laughs> made the meter may trip on the, on the yeah, exactly. just for you. <laughs> right, right. And so I always thought, well, maybe, you know, it's possible my higher dimensional being, right, may have thwarted the parking enforcement person because they're concerned about me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like that would make sense to me, you know. So, but like in terms of entity that sort of ruling over everyone, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I was wondering, so you said you were agnostic at this point, right? Is that true? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, how, what kind of agnostic are you? Um, yeah, I hear your mythology, and there are a lot of different characters in your mythology that you feel are active in your life. How does that relate to your agnosticism? I mean, are you yes. feel as if they're real and have real effects? And, you know, that, that's just the best I can put the question. How, how does yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's a, that's a great question. So, so for me, like my form of agnosticism is being okay with like all these things, right? All these notions or entities that are in, that are in this mythology of mine. I'm being okay that if they're all just in my imagination. I'm okay if they're in my imagination that it's just something in my head that I like to play around with that, you know, helps me out in my own psychological kind of way, but there's no real uh, uh, objective truth to these things. I'm okay with that. Um, but I'm also okay with the, with the possibility that they might actually be real true entities, that they might actually exist uh, separate from me and uh, outside of my own head. Um, so for my, my form of agnosticism is basically being comfortable with that uncertainty, that, that sense of doubt, um, of, about the possible, about either possibility. And, um, that to me, you know, extends to a lot of different areas of, 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 of my life and my practice and my, my beliefs. And, and that's really key. That's a really core component to anyone who'd want to follow the path of love chaos is that if you do have. Uh, you have your own belief system if you're a Christian or a Muslim or a Buddhist or, or whatever it is, a pagan, that you have to be comfortable with the fact that whatever you're believing in might not be true. It might just be make-believe. It might just be in your head. But that's okay. It's okay to, 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 to if that is, and it, to continue being passionate about your things, but also accepting the possibility that what you believe just might not be true. Yeah, and that keeps us from pushing it on other people too, right? <laughs> I I think so. I, I hope Amen. so. I hope so. Hope so. 
I have a saying, it's all in your head, including your head. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a great saying. Uh, Definitely a good saying to keep in mind. Well, Derek, why don't we get to the, I don't want to call it the main event because the conversation has been interesting, but we can definitely uh, loop back to our life experience, uh, recovery in general. But let's talk about love chaos itself. Uh, I guess we should probably, again, talk about terms because even on this show we're always talking about uh, Sophia wisdom this wisdom that and then sometimes you have to stop and say well what the hell is wisdom anyway and of course you see that in culture you know you're a Nazi you're this and nobody really understands what the terms is so sure with all this said let's talk about the terms Uh, how would you define love and then let's define chaos sure sure Uh, I would say that love is something that is, um, it's, it's obviously, it, it, it's a feeling. It's something that I think a person can feel in their gut. I think that um, a person could also have it in terms of their thought process. Uh, and then also, just as importantly, as feelings and thoughts and interactions. And so um, I think in terms of love uh, is where you have a, a, a concern um, that is a healthy concern for yourself and for other people um, that is grounded in compassion, that is grounded in understanding, that is grounded in, um, you know, a, a, a healthy concern for other people in a way where you're going to see them grow and you're going to see yourself grow. And, um, I think that it, it's important to know that, like for me, in terms of how I feel, that everyone is, it has love in their life in some way. Even those people who are denying love, even those people who, who are doing harm and consciously doing harm to other people, hurting them physically or emotionally, uh, which we've all done, uh, I think that people really want to, to, to love. I, I feel like that people inherently want to uh, love other people and to be loved by other people. And, um, I think that, uh, love is something that, um, is, is, is really, it, it can be very, uh, 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 messy. It can be something that, um, can cause pain. Uh, it can cause discomfort. Uh, but I think in that if it does cause harm or discomfort with ourselves or with other people, that there is something that comes out of that experience of pain that is ultimately uh, beneficial for the people involved. Um, I think that so, you know, love doesn't always have to be something that is um, only nice and easy. It should also be something that might be difficult. Um, and then oftentimes it is. Uh, for us as parents, I think that is, a, is an example of where you know, when we have these these children in our lives that we're responsible for and that we brought into the world, um, you know, there is there's a there's a great deal involved in terms of raising a kid that you know can be um, extremely extremely rewarding and extremely uh, um, blissful in a lot of ways, but it also can be very frustrating. It can be very um, uh, 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 difficult to deal with. And so can be true in our romantic relationships, obviously, you know, um, there's a lot of times that I think people want to look at love in the way where, um, 
it's like a drug or it's something that it's easy to do. And it's not, you know, I think love, I mean, it can be, it can be, so love can be very simple and just straightforward and, and great, you know, um, pleasant experience, but a lot of times it's not. And sometimes it causes some discomfort, but it's like working through that discomfort and working through that pain to get to the point of, of, uh, of some benefit to ourselves and benefit to some other people in a deep way, uh, not in a superficial way, but in a deep, deep personal way. Um, you know, and, and again, I don't think, you know, I think it's really important for people to know that, that um, love is something that, you know, uh, uh, it's not, it's not owned by a particular belief system. I, I really, truly, honestly believe that a Satanist could have as much love in their life as a Christian. Um, I, I think that, you know, anybody, a, a gang member could have as much love in their life as a, a police officer, a peace activist could have as much love in their life as a soldier and, and on and on and on, you know, and it's, it's more in the acting out and the, and the labels that people have that aren't going to just automatically qualify them as having more love in their life. It more has to do with the person and their character and what they do um, and the sincerity with, with how they operate and how genuine and authentic they are with their love. Um, because the, 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 the main experience of love is to be, is being authentic and being genuine. And the more genuine that we can be in our lives, the more love we're going to feel for ourselves and for other people. And uh, in terms of, of chaos, um, chaos is, uh, uh, I, I think it's important, and I talk about it in the books, that it doesn't necessarily have to equal uh, evil. And I think traditional notions, most belief systems, both the West and the East, view uh, order and, and structure and, uh, and, and whatnot as being inherently good and that uh, chaos is inherently bad. And, uh, and, and certainly uh, uh, chaos can be very harmful. Um, there can be experiences in life where chaos can be extremely um, devastating. Uh, but it, it, I think it's important to look at in terms of how love chaos views chaos, that chaos doesn't always have to be that way. Because chaos is, should be seen as being unpredictable, something that what you, once you, you feel like you have your hands on and you grip on, it'll slip through your fingers and it'll become something different. And so uh, to have uh, chaos being in a way where it can help you is to be find a way to live with chaos and, and that can help. And this means, you know, with unpredictability happening, um, uh, uh, being okay with that slip or with, with that fall or with that whatever that may happen and understanding that you a way to work with that unpredictable experience. Um, and I think that a lot of times it, how things create and evolve and it happens in such an organic way, it's happening because of chaos. Chaos to me is sort of like an inherent principle in the universe. It causes things to happen um, in, an or, in, a, in an organic way. Um, and so that means sometimes things can happen predictably. Sometimes you can do certain things to cause something to happen and you can predict it to happen and it will. But then sometimes there are elements which fall into play, which cause something to happen that you wouldn't be able to predict. And so, um, I don't think it should just be seen as just bad. Um, it is what it is. 
and uh, and, and it's best to to understand experience in that way rather than trying to fight against it and right, rather than to try to eliminate chaos is, is to just simply um, work with it. Well said indeed. And uh, reminds me, well, I know you've heard this before because I, I listened to your interview with my friends at the cosmic keys podcast and Scarlet had to bring the famous quote by little finger in game of Thrones. Chaos is a ladder. I thought of it too in reading your book. I also thought of the the new show, The Witcher. In that show, chaos is this energy where all magic comes from. Of course, some are saying, well, it's just the force or the Tao and all that. Could we say that about the chaos? Sure, sure. I mean, it, that it, yeah, I think that, um, I think that you can look at it in that way, that it is just, it is a, a force or a, a, an element or a principle to life, uh, for sure. Um, I think that it's, if it, you know, um, one looks at your, our own personal life, I think we can find a lot of chaos involved. Uh, obviously, you know, we can look at, look back at our lives and just, and just see how things happen. And, you know, you know, I certainly, when I was 30 years old, I didn't expect what happened in my thirties to happen at all, you know, and that was something that I just would not see coming at all. And so it, it, um, it's something that in our personal lives, we, we, we see on a daily basis, uh, on a yearly basis, on a decade long basis, but it also is something I think you look at history, uh, you look at, at human history and you see how things happen. Um, and it some, a lot of times historians or religious people or political people liked to create a narrative to human history in such a way that fits into their belief system. And I think that a lot of times that's just, it's a forced upon uh, narrative and it may be, there's some benefit to looking at, at the history in that way. But if you look at the actual experiences themselves, it, it's, it's dominated by chaos in my point of view. And, uh, and then if you look beyond human beings and you look at just nature itself and you look at the you know, animal species and, and you look at the universe and there's just a lot of things that happen that um that happen in unpredictable ways and so um it is a however you want to call it a force or a principle or an aspect to life it certainly is there and um i think as we get more and more uh, advanced uh, we'll find i think that uh, rather than seeing chaos as an enemy but as something an important element to life to work with i think we'll, we'll be better off well said. And going to terms now, you talk about love, chaos, magic. And I love how you write that magic and psychology are bound to the core. You also differentiate uh, chaos magic itself when you say that, uh, I believe, unlike uh, chaos magic, for love, chaos, you have to be emotionally connected to a mythology. Could you explain more about what I just said? Sure, sure. Yeah, that is, uh, I think it is, you know, certainly there's a lot of similarities between chaos magic and, uh, and what love chaos is about. Um, you know, I think that there's so much about what chaos magic has done since, uh, you know, the 70s, 80s and 90s when it was so dominant that it continues to affect us today. Um, but um, the, the, the general, this may not be true for all people who practice chaos magic, but the general tone to chaos magic is to have some kind of um, I, I don't want to say ironic detachment, but some kind of detachment 
um, from the from the entities that you work with, from the practice itself, that the the emphasis in chaos magic is um, is results and getting some kind of results from the practice that you're doing. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that in in in, in a lot of ways. Um, but I think when you emphasize that so much that so you can like adopt a, a belief system, you know, say one month you're a Satanist and then the next month you're a Christian and then the next month you're a Wiccan and the next month you're in, in the OTO or what, whatever it is, you know, you just go from one belief system to the next without any personal investment in those belief systems. So you don't really have any, what, yeah, what I call like emotional attachment to those belief systems. Um, and you're only using those belief systems as tools uh, and uh, to get a certain effect. And I think that certainly can be fun and can be entertaining and can be interesting. Um, but I think really like from my point of view and what Love Chaos is about is that you want to get some really deep personal experience from your practice and magic. Um, it's, it, it, it should be about getting certain results for sure, but it should also be a personal experience that you really enjoy, um, that it really means something to you at a significant level. Um, in a similar way that people who, who do join a religion or, or get into a spirituality have a deep, personal, passionate relationship with those beliefs. Uh, I think that that's, that's really, it's a great experience, you know, to be really uh, attached to your practice and to your, uh, the entities that you work with. Um, and that is, uh, is balanced in Love Chaos by doubt. So it, it may seem odd or bizarre, but to have this passionate relationship with your practice and your mythology, but at the same time, be okay with, 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 a, with the fact that maybe this thing that you're so emotionally attached to may not be true. So, um, but yeah, I, that, that's certainly a big, for me, a big di difference between chaos magic and love chaos magic is that personal emotional attachment that one should have with your practice. Derek, do you think there's a relationship between chaos and uh, Carl Jung's shadow? Um, well, the shadow, I think from what I understand, and I don't know a great deal about Jung, but from what I understand, you know, is kind of goes into what more traditional notions of what chaos is. And that is that it's, it, it's something that there's, there's something predominantly negative about it. And that, that, that for, from young, the shadow was very important, but it was the negative side to us. It was the dark side, the shadowy side of who we are, of our, of our personality. And that it, rather than trying to eliminate that shadow, that it was important to embrace it. And, um, and again, like in, in Love Chaos, in the terms of how, of how Love Chaos views chaos, chaos doesn't have to be only that dark, shadowy experience in life. Um, and I think that it, it, chaos is, is, it slips out and could become uh, anything. It becomes anything at all. It doesn't have to be only that, that um, the darker recesses of our minds or the darker recess or the darker experiences in life it can be other other things as well so from from my perspective chaos is different from what Jung described uh as the as the shadow and it's certainly the shadow is a very interesting thing to to deal with and to talk about in an experience in your life but in in love chaos the term for chaos is is it wouldn't be the same as that 
And if somebody wants to contact you for Love Chaos, what are the steps? Uh, share websites, emails, whatever you want to share, Derek. Sure, yeah. If people would like to try out with the, the Love Chaos Dialogues with me, if they have a question about their life, um, they can most, most definitely reach out to me. And there's a lot of different ways. Uh, I'm on Facebook. You can look for me on Facebook uh, under Derek Hunter. There's the, the Love Chaos Facebook group. Uh, which is the uh, out of all the uh, social platforms that I, I I'm on, that's the one that gets the most um, interaction and responses from, and it's been growing in years. Uh, so you could find uh, if you don't want to reach out to me, uh, you could also go on to that Love Chaos group and post something or just get involved to check it out. So that's a, it's just simply called Love Chaos, and it's one of those Facebook groups. Um, but you can reach out to me on Facebook, on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, although that's probably where I'm on the least. Uh, probably after Facebook would be Instagram, uh, and I'm on there. People can reach out to me uh, and send me a message on there. Uh, people can also send me an email at dh.lovechaos at gmail.com, uh, and that's something they can find on my website. All of these things you can find on, on my website, which is love-chaos.com, so L-O-V-E-C-H-A-O-S.com. And there's a lot of things on that website in addition to Love Chaos. There's all the books, all the novels I've written, the short story collections, uh, the music albums that I've done, a lot of them associated with my works of fiction. Uh, there's my dad's play on there. Uh, so there's a lot of different things uh, that are on that website and any way, any form that you'd like to get in touch with me is on that website. Awesome. Yes. And I am part of this Facebook group because I need help. I will always need help. I have come to that honesty and in a way that's what's made me more divine. So, uh, and we will have the information for Derek in our show notes as always, or shoot me a line, but if you need help or you just need to get better, well, either way, ask for help. So we, at the end of our interview, Vance, thanks for uh, keeping us company on this very orderly chaos journey. Uh, it was very orderly and very chaotic <laughs> and it was very interesting. <laughs> and uh, Derek, good luck with it. Um, it sounds like you're having good success already. I'm sure it'll help a lot of people. Thank you, Vance. I appreciate it. And I'm glad you were part of this conversation, too. Thank you. Always good to have the moon dog. But Derek, really appreciate you coming on Aeon Bytenostic Radio, as I call it. And good luck with your recovery, with all your work. And we look forward to having you back in the future. Awesome. Thank you so much, Miguel. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it was really a pleasure. And I'm glad you gave us the opportunity to really dive into this in a, in a really deep and meaningful way. So thank you very much. And there you have it, my beloved true seekers. The first part of our interview with Derek Hunter on Love Chaos. Chaos is a ladder, but it's also romance if you become a serious artist. In our second part, Derek shares how Love Chaos works with others for their sobriety and recovery, as well as how other systems do the same. We discuss other alternative support groups, including secular ones and even Buddhist ones. There's so many choices out there, 
and Derek will add his issues with AA as a whole. Derek then tells us the techniques of love chaos, as well as general advice if you're struggling with addiction or even codependency. We find out how love chaos approaches politics, and we'll loop back to Jordan Peterson and the issue of a lack of initiation in today's culture, and why it's important in how to regain our innocence, and much, much more. You know the drill. Become an AB Prime member or Patreon at Patreon for the full dope. And pardon my pun. Damning your soul has never been this cheap, but you'll get your spirit back. Only $6.99 a lunar cycle if you're an AB Prime member. Beyond awful episodes, you get a galaxy of rewards like private groups, 13 years of valuable content, exclusive content and access to private discussions same benefits for patrons at patreon but you can pledge per content a month if that works for you i solely depend on your help to grow this red pill cafeteria and if you've got holes in your pockets due to the monkey shines of archons let me know I'll give you any show on the chaotic house, including this one if you need help. Don't feel bad. I do this all the time. We're all in this together, trying to sober up to our divine and heroic aspects. Divided we stand, together we rise on this chaos ladder in our love chaos. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself your true self. Hello and goodbye as always. credit card bill.